The title of the message is this, Hearing and Understanding. Hearing and Understanding. Have any of y'all ever read the Bible and thought, I have no idea what this is saying? Raise your hand if you've been there. That was me this past week. I was reading something like, I don't know what this says. I don't know what this means. And I've read it several times. I still don't know what it means. How many of y'all have read entire chapter and you didn't remember one thing you read? Oh, that makes me so mad because I'm like, I'm wasting time. Just pay attention, Josh. Just pay attention. It's so sad. I'm human too, but I want to I read and get my day going. And when I'm not, when I, when I read and I'm thinking about something, I get through the entire chapter and I think, well, I could keep going because I did my, my um, due diligence to read today. Or I could be mature and go back and try to glean something. I'm like, oh, if I go back, I'm going to waste time. And, it's, and so it's always the struggle, right? Is it just me or is that, is that everybody? That's a lot of people. But many of us have read and tried to pay attention, but we didn't understand what we were reading. There is a reason many times, there is a reason why we will read something in the Word of God, but not understand it. We will hear a pastor, a preacher, hear a message and not understand what is being said. There's a reason. We're going to talk about that this morning. How many of y'all want to not just hear, but also understand? Amen. It is possible. So let's pray. Father, we thank you for today. I thank you so much for my, my family who is here. Truly, they are my family. Even if I don't talk to them every week, Father, they are my family. We are brothers and sisters. And Father, I really pray that we would take this assembling together seriously. We may not understand with our natural minds what is actually going on, but we know as we are obedient to come together that supernatural things are going to happen in our lives. Help us to not just, oh, if I'm here, I'm not. Father, help us not to make excuses, but to really commit to the body. We're living in some I really believe we're living in the last days, and Father, I I pray that you would just give us the grace to come together. We need to come together. I pray that we would live in such a way that would draw other people to come. Father, I pray that you would just give us eyes to see, ears to hear what you're wanting to say to us this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, 2 Corinthians chapter 4, look at verse 1. Follow along on the screen or in your Bible. This is Paul speaking. He says this, Therefore, having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. What ministry is he talking about? Well, if you look at chapter 3, he's talking about the ministry of the new covenant, the ministry of righteousness as opposed to the old covenant. You can go back and read it. But he's talking about this ministry that Jesus paid the price for our sins. He fulfilled and started the new covenant. Verse 2, But we... He and the other disciples have announced disgraceful, underhanded ways. We refuse to practice cunning or to tamper with God's word, to manipulate God's word. There's a lot of people who do that. They will pick and choose verses to to communicate an agenda or a message. He says, we don't do that. We don't tamper with it. But by the open statement of truth, we would commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. Basically, is saying is we're going to lay the word of God out plainly without tampering, without a motive before you. 
And we're going to let you, but with your own mind and your own conscience, determine what it is saying. Verse 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, hidden, it is veiled or hidden to those who are perishing. It says, and even though we may open up God's word and present the word to you so that you can read it to some people, it is still going to be veiled and hidden. Look at verse 4. In their case, the God of this world has blinded the minds of the unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. What's happening? He says, the God of this world. Who's the God of this world? Satan, the devil, has blinded the eyes of unbelievers to keep them from seeing God's truth. God's truth the first time, and he will continue to try to keep us from seeing the truth as we continue to live for the Lord. Look at verse 5. For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God said, let light shine out of darkness. This light has shone in our hearts to give the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. This is actually something that I, I will pray when I'm, when, I'm, when I'm praying and I'm counseling somebody or trying to pray through something, I will, I will hear me say this, God, would you shine the light of your word on their heart? Would you shine light into that dark place where things are confusing, where things are anxious, where things are feel, fearful? Would you shine your light in the situation that we're praying about so that they can see the truth? And that really is, and th- we've been saying this all year, we're going to continue to say this until Jesus comes back. The battle is between truth and lies. As long as we are not walking in truth, as long as we are not reading the word, as long as we are not going to the Lord, we are in danger of believing a lie. Jesus came to shine the light on our hearts like we just read so that we can walk into more and more truth. And the amazing thing is he doesn't just do it one time. He will continue to do it over and over and over again. This past year, I'm going to say this towards the end, but God has been speaking to me a whole lot this year. And he's been, he's been revealing areas in my life that I've been prideful in, areas in my life that I've been fearful in. And I'm like, man, God, I felt like I dealt with this a long time ago. And, and, he, and I feel like he's been saying, you have, but there are levels to this. You have to continue to invite the Holy Spirit into your life to bring more and more revelation. We continue to invite the light of the knowledge of the glory of God into our lives. But going back to, the, going back to the, the point, what is Paul saying? He says it is possible to hear God's good news, to read the word, and not understand it. Why? Very simple, because the Bible is not a normal book. Look at this statement. The Bible is a spiritual book that can only be understood with the Holy Spirit's help. It is not a normal book. This is the reason why the enemy can come along and blind our eyes because he is a spirit. And so he will work in the supernatural realm, in the spirit realm, to blind our eyes. This is why we can read something but, and spend minutes or read it ten times and not understand it because it is a spiritual book that can only be revealed through the Holy Spirit. Did you know that over 40 authors wrote the Bible? Did you know all these books are not written by the same person? They're written by 40 different people over a 15-year, 1,500-year time frame. 1,500 years. 
Now, this is not a lesson about trying to, to defend the Word of God. That's called the study of, or defend God. That's called the study of apologetics, which is using reason to and, and, and um, evidence to prove that there is a God. But what are the odds that 40 men could write one book over 1,500 years, not 150 years, not 15 years, uh, 1,500 years, and the book come together with such clarity and unity the way that the Bible does? What are the odds? The odds are, yes, almost zero. The Word of God is not a normal book. It is a spiritual book, and we have to begin to read it that way. When you're reading it, even though your mind, this is so good, even though your mind may not comprehend what you are reading, your spirit is being fed. It's being fed. This is why we make a commitment to the Word of God. A lot of people say, well, I don't want, you know, I don't understand it, right? And then that's, I get it. That's a lot of people, that's me many times. I don't understand what I'm saying. I'm reading, I was, I'm right now reading in Leviticus. So many laws, I'm like, Lord, I don't want to read a law about a person who has leprosy. Like, there's like a 60-verse chapter about leprosy. I'm like, we're not, and, I, and as I was reading, the Lord said, you don't have to understand it to receive something because it is a spiritual book. Church, we have to be mature enough to have a relationship with the Word of God. If you've been coming, about to step on some toes, if you've been coming this past year and you've heard me talk about developing a relationship with the Word of God, and you have yet to have a daily, relation, daily devotional relationship with the book, with the Word of God, you're immature, really immature. It's time for us to mature and open up the Word of God and to start reading it and trust that the Holy Spirit is going to give us revelation, even though we may not understand it in the moment. Eventually, we can and we will, but when we are reading, we are being spiritually fed. Is that okay? I know that's kind of hard. It's time for us to grow up. It's time, okay, it's time for us to grow up. Okay, look at 2 Peter 1, verse 16. It says this, For we do not follow cleverly devised myths when we made known to you the power and coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He said this, <clears throat> but Peter says, but we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. He says, we're not following a myth or a legend that was passed down over time. He says, we were eyewitnesses of his majesty. For when he received, this is Jesus, when he received honor and glory from God the Father, and the voice was born to him by the, mag- by the majestic glory, this is my beloved son with whom I will please. We ourselves heard this very voice born from heaven, for we are with him on the holy mountain. Basically, Peter is referencing the time where he, Peter, um, James and John went up to the Mount of Transfiguration and saw Elijah and Moses come down from heaven. And then the father said, this is my son. He says, we were eyewitnesses. We saw this thing happen. He said, this, we're not just following something that was passed down. We saw Jesus and we saw the father tell him, this is my son with whom I'm well pleased. And we, verse 19, and we have the prophetic word more fully confirmed. What's the prophetic word? It's the Old Testament. So when... Peter is writing, and Paul is writing, and they're referencing the scriptures. They're not referencing the New Testament. You know why? Because they are writing the New Testament as they're talking about it. They're referencing the Old Testament. So he says, we have the prophetic word, which is the Old Testament, the the law and the prophets. 
He says, um, the, the prophetic word more fully confirmed, to which you will do well to pay attention as to a lamp, look at this, to a lamp shining in a dark place until the day dawns and the morning star rises in your hearts. Knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of Scripture, no word that's in our Bible comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What is, what is Peter saying? He is saying that as these 40 different authors wrote the different things that they were writing, even though God used their personalities, even though there are different genres, uh, there's many different genres in the Bible. There's, there's uh, poetry, there's, um, there's prophecy, there's um, allegories, there's many different genres. Even though they had, wrote in different ways, each one of them were inspired by the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? And I've, I've had to think this through. Does that mean that as they were writing that the Holy Spirit took over their bodies and they didn't know what they were saying until they, they put the period on the last verse and like, whoa, I can't believe I, I wow, that's pretty good. I don't, is that what happened? I don't believe that's what happened. I believe that God supernaturally used each person, where, how they were raised, where, where, where they were born, what style of writing that they um, um, were best capable of writing. He used all of these different elements and put it together supernaturally to make up the Word of God. We can have confidence when we read God's word that we're reading words that, yes, were written by men. And a lot of people say, how many of you have heard people say, well, men wrote the Bible. Men wrote the Bible. How can I trust that men wrote it? Yeah, men wrote it, but each of these men were divinely inspired by God himself. That's why we can trust it. Look at 2 Timothy 3, verse 14. This is Paul talking to Timothy. But as for you, continue in what you have learned and have firmly believed. This is Timothy. Timothy was a young pastor, probably like myself. And Paul, Paul's telling him, I'm young. I hope y'all caught that. <laughs> I'm going I'm to I'm gonna keep saying that even 20 years later if, if Jesus doesn't come back. Knowing, he says... Uh, <laughs> But as for you, continue what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from whom you learned it and how from childhood you have been acquainted with the sacred writings, again, the Old Testament, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Look at verse 16. All scripture, everything we read in God's word is breathed out by God, divinely inspired and profitable for what? I'm going to read a couple of things that the word of God is good for. Number one, for teaching. We can go to God's word to teach us how we are to live our lives. Number two, for reproof. You know what reproof means? Reproof means when someone approaches you, corrects you, and it's actually saying, hey, this was your fault. How many of y'all can take that? I think I said this maybe a month ago. How many of you have enough humility for a leader or pastor mentor parents, whatever, brother or sister, to come to you, hopefully in love, and say, hey, this was your fault. We're talking about maturity. He says, the word of God is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, another form of reproof, and for training in righteousness. Why? Verse 17, that the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. 
The word of God has been given to us so that we can be complete. But how does it make us complete? For, for teaching, for training, for reproof, for correction. We have to be able to endure all those things, to commit ourselves to teaching, to be mentored, to being disciplined. Why? So that we could be complete. How many of y'all want to be complete in God's eyes? We, this is possible through the word of God. The Bible is the inspired word of God. This is the last part of this sermon. But the Bible is the inspired word of God. No other book is God's inspired word. Not the Quran. Not the Book of Mormon. Not any other book that would claim to have God's words is inspired the way God's word is. Now, there are a lot of people that have written books, a lot of Christian authors, a lot of poets, a lot of writers throughout the centuries that have communicated a truth that points back to the truth, but no book is inspired the way that the Word of God is. The Bible is not a normal book, and in order to fully, to begin to understand it, we'll never fully understand it, but to begin to understand God's Word, we have to ask the Holy Spirit to give us revelation of what He is saying to us. Amen. Okay, now if you were alive during Jesus' three and a half year ministry, you would have heard him teach using a parable. How many of you heard the word parable before? We've said it several times here, a parable. What is a parable? I'm going to give you a couple definitions. Number one, a parable is this, a short allegorical story designed to illustrate or teach some truth, religious principle, or moral lesson. And then this, this um, definition I've got this one from my dad. I don't know where my dad got it from. Maybe he made it up. But a earthly story <laughs> with a heavenly meaning. I like that definition, personally. So basically, a parable is a story, an earthly story that people could relate to that communicates a spiritual meaning. And we're going to read a couple parables uh, this morning. But that's what a parable was. This is a re- The reason Jesus spoke in parables is because people could identify with different elements of these stories and, and begin to comprehend the spiritual lesson that he's wanting to teach. About one-third of Jesus' teachings were done using parables, about a third of them. So there are 55 parables in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. And some of these are overlapping, but you find 55 in Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Now, we're going to read a parable in Matthew 13. We're going to spend the rest of our time really here. This is an important parable. In Mark 4, 13, Jesus says, says this. We're in Matthew 13, but in Mark 4, Jesus says, if you don't understand this parable, how can you begin to understand the other parables? You can read it for yourself, Mark 4, 13. We're going to see why this is true in, this, in Matthew 13, but I just want to kind of lay the foundation. If we're going to understand the rest of Jesus' teachings in parables, then it's really important that we understand this one. Okay, Matthew 13, verse 1. That same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat beside the sea. And great crowds gathered about him so that he got into a boat and sat down. He says there were so many people that the best way for him to teach them was to go out into the water on a boat. And the whole crowd stood on the beach. And he told them many things in parables, saying, and he begins this parable, a sower went out to sow. They would have known what a sower was. A sower was somebody who planted seed in the ground, and that was very common to see that during those times. Someone working a field. Verse 4, And as he sowed, some seeds fell along the path, and the birds came and devoured them. Other seeds fell on rocky ground, 
where they did not have much soil, and immediately they sprang up, since they had no depth of soil. But when the sun rose, they were scorched, and since they had no roots, they withered away. Other seeds fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked them. Other seeds fell on good soil and produced grain, some a hundred fold or hundred times the seed, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears, let him hear. So this is the parable. This is the most important parable that, that Jesus is saying. It's a parable about seed falling on different types of soil. And then at the very end, Jesus says this, He who has ears, let him hear. Now that's kind of silly, right? Unless somebody was born with a deformity or, you know, were born deaf, every one of them have ears. So what is Jesus saying by this? Hey, who has ears, let him hear. I think that phrase has a lot of different meanings, but I think one of the main things it's saying is this, that if that you, we choose to turn our ears to listening and that we seek to understand. I think that would, this is what Jesus is saying. He says, he finishes the prayer by saying, hey, turn your ears. If you have ears, which you do, turn your ears, your heart to seek and understand what this parable is saying. Now we're going to skip verses 10 through 17. We're going to come back to it, but look at verse 18. He then begins to explain what this parable means. He says this, Hear then the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of God of the kingdom and does not understand it, that's all of us, right? We've all been in that place before and does not understand it. The evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. This is what was sown along the path. So naturally, when you see, when you, if you were to throw seed, for example, on the road, nothing's going to grow, right? Unless it's a weed. Those weeds grow anywhere. <laughs> but if you're trying to plant a tree or a crop or something, if you throw it on the road, nothing's going to grow. People are going to step on it. The cars are going to run over it. It's not going to grow. He says that is like someone when the Word of God comes and then the evil one comes. But I want you, I had never seen this before until I was studying this. But look at verse 19. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart. When does the devil, the evil one, come along? After he doesn't understand it. Look at the progression. When the word of God, the kingdom comes, it doesn't say the evil one comes before he has an opportunity to understand it. This is the way I'm interpreting it. It says, he does not understand it, then the evil one comes. This is just my opinion, but I think that the, that the enemy comes when we hear God's word on Sunday morning, during our devotion, or whenever, and we don't do anything with it. The enemy comes along and steals the word because we didn't do anything with it. Okay, let's keep reading. Look at verse 20, verse 18, verse 20, sorry. As for what was sown on rocky ground, the next type of um, ground. This is the one who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Yet he has no root in himself, but endures for a while. And when tribulation or persecution arises on account of the word, immediately he falls away. So people who have a rocky soil are those who hear God's word and they're excited and they jump in and they want to start serving and they want to start doing all these things. But what happens when tough times come, they leave. Anybody known somebody like that? They were on fire for God, but they couldn't take 
that couldn't bear to carry their cross. You know, Jesus will lead us into situations that are, that are very painful. This is, I mean, I hope, I hope you hear this. Did you know Jesus will lead will himself, not you, not the enemy. Now, your, yourself and the enemy may be part of the equation, but do you know sometimes Jesus will purposely lead you into very hard times? The reason, I'm, the reason I'm stopping to emphasize this is because many times when we go through hard things, we get mad at God. And we say, God, why? I don't understand. I don't understand. If we understand beforehand that we're going to go through something hard and we know that he loves us and that he's going to give us the grace, don't you think we may allow ourselves to stay in that hard season? Not, it won't be very easy, but God is leading us. God will lead us through these seasons, I believe, so that our flesh dies. There have been a handful of things this past year, which I've talked about some of them, some I haven't. But one of the things I've noticed is he allows things to get on my nerves and to agitate me and to get me to dwell on things throughout the day, throughout the week, throughout the month, throughout the year to highlight something in my life that needs to die. I told you the story about, um, about my car, how somebody hit my car, and there was this huge mark. It went down to the paint, and I was like, oh, this is, I was so upset. And the Lord said, you have a problem with perfection. You've been looking to things and people to rest in perfection. He's, and I feel like he said, don't you know I'm the only perfect one? Don't you know, don't you know I'm the only perfect thing on this side of eternity? You know what I was doing? And just, just so you can get into my, and you will, you will identify with this. I, you know what I was saying? I got to be a good steward. I got to be a good steward of this vehicle. I got to be a good steward of my house, of the, my, my clothes, the things that I have, the people. I got to be a good steward. And so I was telling myself, no, I, I got to be a good steward. And, and that's why it was bothering me. But Jesus said, no, there's a deeper reason. You have a problem with perfection, and the truth is you cannot rest in anything on this side of eternity. The only thing you can rest on is me. It's funny how the enemy will play games in our minds. Many of us are saying, well, this is why I'm doing this. And I, I promise you, if we were having a conversation, we would probably find a deeper reason why you're acting a certain way, thinking a certain way. The enemy is a master manipulator. You don't mess around with him. You don't mess around with sin. You don't mess around with impurity. If the Lord is asking you to deal with something, please deal with it. Please deal with it. Because if you don't, he will, he will go to town. And you will find yourself in a worse place. Okay, so this person is somebody where persecution arises and it gets too hard. They say, okay, I, I love Jesus, but not that much. Verse 21, 22. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of the world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and it proves unfruitful. The, these are people who love God, but they also have another lover. They love the world. They love status. They love money. They love certain types of friends. They love feeling a certain way. I love what the word says, and the deceitfulness of riches. There's nothing wrong with having riches in this world. And when we think of riches, we think of, you know, Jeff Bezos, Bill Gates. But compared to the rest of the world, all of us are rich. All of us. There's nothing wrong with having things, but beware, riches can be deceitful. Things can be deceitful. 
He says, this person is someone who loves, this is very important to, to, to uh, emphasize, these are people that love God, like us, we love God, but the riches come along and they take our heart and, and when Jesus, like the rich man, is trying to make a point and, and say, hey, I know you love me, but to prove that you love me, I need to get to your heart and your heart is focused on all these things that you have. Sell all those things, give the proceeds to the poor and come and follow me. You know what the rich man said? This is essentially what he said, I don't love you that much. How much do you love Jesus? How much are you willing to follow him? If Jesus were to say, hey, this, that thing is a little too close to your heart, I need you to get rid of it. What would you say? We don't want to be like this person. And then finally, verse 23, as for what was sown on good soil, this is the one who hears, look at this, Hears the word and understands it. What's the title of our message? Hearing and understanding. Hears and understands it. He indeed bears fruit and yields. In one case, a hundredfold, in another 60, in another 30. This, this parable has a, lot of, has a lot of different meanings, but I really believe this is the heart of the message. Jesus, Jesus says in Mark, if you don't understand this parable, you won't un- understand the others. Why does he say that? Because this parable is about learning to not just hear and see, but understand. And Jesus is saying, if you do not understand this parable about hearing and understanding, how are you going to hear and understand the other parables? He says, this is why it's the most important one, because if you can't understand the one that's about hearing and understanding, seeing and understanding, how are you going to hear the other parables that I tell and understand what they're saying? He said, he's basically saying, you need to make sure the soil of your heart is good so that you just don't hear my word, but you understand it. Because if the soil isn't good, don't expect to understand any of the other ones. Now, how do we know if our soil is good? It's a magic, uh, magic question, right? How do we know if our soil is good? Look back at verse 10. Then the disciples came and said to him, why do you speak to them in parables? And he answered them, to you it has, it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of heaven, but to them, the others, it has not been given. Jesus is saying, to you, my disciples, those that are close to me, you have the ability to see, but these other people, they don't. What was, were, were the disciples special? Why was it the disciples were given the ability to understand, but not other people? Verse 12, for to the one who has, more will be given, and he will have an abundance. To the one who has, who already has things, more will be given, and he'll have an abundance. But for the one who has not, who has nothing, even what he has will be taken away. Some people hearing that don't like that statement. Verse 13, this is why I speak to them in parables, because they do not see in hearing, they do not hear, nor do they understand. Indeed, their case the prophet, in their case, the prophecy of Isaiah is fulfilled that says this. This is a prophecy from Isaiah that Jesus is referencing. He says, you will indeed hear, but never understand. And you will indeed see, but never perceive. Why? Look at the very next verse. For this people's heart has grown dull. And with their, eye, eye, and with their ears, they can barely hear, and the eyes they have closed, lest they should see with their eyes, and hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and turn and I would heal them. <clears throat> we can see, we can hear, but if our heart is dull, we will not understand what God is saying. 
That's the key to this parable. If you want to hear with the ears God has given you, spiritual ears, and see with the spiritual eyes that God has given you, then you need to do a heart check. If you want good soil, then your heart needs to be good. Back to this question, why were the disciples, were the disciples special? No, they had simply left everything they had and followed Jesus. They had turned, they had turned their heart completely to Jesus, therefore their soil was good. They met Jesus, they heard his voice when he said, hey, drop your nets and follow me, and then they followed him. Many of us are introduced to Jesus, hear his voice, but keep doing what we're doing. Our soil is not good. We're like one of those other three people in that parable. The reason why Jesus gave the disciples permission to understand this parable is because they had turned their heart completely to Jesus, so much so that they gave up everything about their old life and followed him. Their soil was good. What is the key to having good soil? What is the key to hearing and understanding is turning our heart completely to him. It's possible for us to hear God's word and understand it, but, but the key is for us hearing is and understanding is, where's my heart at? How are we going to hear God's word and understand it? Number one, you need to turn your heart to God. I'm going to ask you a question. Where's your heart at? It's po- in, in turning your heart, it's not just you're looking this way, not looking at God, and then you're looking this way. No, there are degrees to turning to God. Many of us are, we, we, this is, I don't know if this is a good example. Many of us are going to church and living for God this way. The world's that way and God's this way. We can see in our, our peripheral vision, but how clearly can we see? You cannot see something very specific that God is wanting to show you unless you're completely turned and looking at it and studying and asking the Lord to reveal it to you. I want to ask you a question, where's your heart at? You may love the Lord, but I'm going to ask you, how much have you turned your heart to the Lord? Is God an accessory? Is he, well, I'll show up to church Sunday. Hopefully I'll make it two Sundays in a row. I haven't done that in a while. How much have you turned to the Lord? This is the world. This is God. Are you right here? Are you right here? Are you over here? Where are you at? The degree that you turn will be the degree of how good your soul is. Will be the degree of how much you produce. A hundred times? Sixty times? Thirty times? Five times? It all depends on how much a heart is turned to the Lord. And number two, how can we hear God's word and understand it? Lastly, steward God's word. Stewarding God's word. What does that mean? This came up at prayer last week. Church, the nights of prayer are the most important thing we do here. It really, it really is. I really hope that you make a commitment to come. One of the things that came up while we were praying last week was, was this. God, and I, I just began praying. It just kind of came out. But God, help us to steward and to pay attention and to, this is the word, to treasure what you've been saying to me. Help me not to despise it and just hear something or read something, then oh, I'll think about it later. Oh, I'll get to it later. Help me to treasure like somebody I love, I'm deeply in love with, has told me something so special, and I'm going to meditate and dwell on it. 
We're asking the Lord, help us to steward your word. Help us to not just hear something and then forget about it and maybe think about it later. Help us to steward your voice. How are we going to not hear and understand we're going to steward what God has spoken to us? Look at this last, look at this last passage, Luke 8, verse 16. No one, after lighting a lamp, covers it with a jar or puts it under a bed, but puts it on a stand so that those who enter may see the light. He says, no one lights a candle or a light or whatever and then puts a cover over it. No, he lights it so that everyone can see. For nothing is hidden that will not be made manifest, and nor is anything secret that will not be known and come to light. Look at this last verse. Take, take care, then how you hear. For the, to the one who has, more will be given. And from the one who has not, even what he thinks that he has will be taken away. You know what this parable is saying? Leave that verse up if you will. If you want to hear more of God's words, then you need to take care of what he's already spoken to you. If you are not going to cherish the little that he's given you, don't expect for him to speak to you anymore. Anybody ask ever, anybody ever thought, Lord, how come you're not speaking to me? Where are you at? You know what God is in turn asking you? What did you do with what I first told you? If you didn't care to pay attention or value what I first told you, why should I tell you anything about your future or the next thing or the next season? I remember Pastor Robert, I remember Pastor Robert um, Morris, one of, my, one of my heroes, several years ago, he was, he was preaching and he said, man, I hear God speaking to me all the time, all the time. And I thought, Man, this dude's super spiritual. Like, I, I don't. I hear God maybe once a week, maybe once a month, whatever. The past year, I've heard him more than ever. This past week, I've heard God say so many things to me. You know why? I've realized something. I've learned to value His voice. I've learned to value when he, I've started writing down. Whenever I hear something, I was talking with Corey. He's not here yet, but I was. We were talking yesterday. We were talking about how many times God will speak something to us and then we'll forget about it and we'll forget about it. I've started writing these things down. I've started going over these things. You know what I've been communicating to the Lord? Lord, I value your voice. I'm going to steward your voice. This, this parable says when you steward his voice and you show him that you care what he says, he'll begin to speak more to you. How can we hear and understand God's word by valuing what he has already said to us? I'm going to ask you, what is God asked? What has God spoken to you that you have not paid attention to? Committing to the body, going to church, getting up in the morning to pray and read. This is something the Lord, oh man, this is a word that he has spoken to me 13, 14, 15, well, 15 years. Get up in the morning and pray at a certain hour. He gave me a revelation at 6 a.m. That's, that's the time. And even recently he told me why specifically. I'll share that later at 6 a.m. Actually, Isaac probably knows this, but that's the day, that's the, I believe 6 a.m. is the, the time that the new day starts, right? The morning, the day, right? And I didn't realize that. And he said, the reason I'm telling you to get up at 6 a.m. is because in the Jewish calendar, that's the hour that the daytime starts. And the day ends at 6 p.m. at night, and then the next day starts. He says, I'm telling you to get up at, and I didn't know that. That's revelation that came more recently. But he says, I want you to get up at 6 a.m. and to steward and to walk in obedience because that's the, that's the time on the Jewish, in the Jewish day that the day actually starts. And he says, if you're not willing to be committed to that, I may show you some things, but don't expect me to reveal all the things I have for you. How do we hear understand God's word? We turn our hearts in. Where's your heart at? And number two, we steward what he has already spoken. 